Amen. Hey, good morning. So good to see you. Uh, thanks so much for being here. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it and go to Mark chapter 5. Uh, Mark 5 is where we're going to start, but we are going to be all over the place today. Uh, so we'll get there in just a minute. Uh, any Jim Gaffigan fans out there? Jim Gaffigan, anybody? Yeah, uh, he's a, my favorite, actually, stand-up comedian that's out there. He's incredible. And he, he once said a joke that I appreciated as a parent. He said, hey, do you want to know what it's like to have a fourth kid? Well, just imagine you're drowning, and then someone hands you a baby, right? So I don't know if anyone can say amen in the room to that, uh, but that's sometimes what it feels like. Uh, I'm one of 10, and so this is so crazy. My parents are professional baby makers. They didn't have twins. They just had like 10 babies, bang, 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 10 babies. And uh, I remember like not thinking much about that growing up other than the 15-passenger van that we drove around and everyone always staring at us funny. Uh, but at one point, we finally had our first child, my wife and I, and a few weeks into that, I called my dad and I was like, what were you thinking? How did you do this 10 times? I don't understand. I, I haven't slept in weeks and we only have one. And so uh, that was my experience. And listen, every, just about every night, this is true, just about every night when we finally get our kids to bed and we prepare for our three hours of sleep that we're going to have, uh, I, I think to myself, man, we did it. We completed another day of pretending like we know what on earth we're doing as parents. And I wish I was exaggerating, but I'm really not. Um, I really resonate with my friend David Adair who said this. He's one of the pastors in our church. He said, most of the time I feel entirely unqualified to be a parent. I call these times being awake. And I feel that. Parenting is a challenging, challenging thing. I've never laughed as hard in my life, and I've also never been so distraught in my life. I've never had as much joy, and I've never been as angry and, and so high, high highs and really low lows, and that's been my journey as a parent. Today we're talking about what it is to be rooted in Jesus and how that infuses our parenting with meaning. I get that in the room this size that not all of you are parents. Uh, some of you have tried, and so this is a sensitive topic for you. you. You feel some pain around this, and I just want you to know like, man, I, I've been praying for you in preparation for this. Uh, I know what it's like to try to have kids and not be able to do that. That was my wife and I's story for a few years. Uh, we lost a baby in between our third and our fourth. And so maybe you're here and you've, you've uh, recently gone through a miscarriage. Man, my heart goes out to you. Uh, maybe you're here and you're, you're single and you feel like you're really miles down the road from this being relevant to you. You can help us. If you're a part of this church, then you can help be a part of the body of Christ and actually know how to pray for and encourage parents in the room. And maybe you're here and you're parenting and you're at different stages. I think today is going to be helpful because what I want to try to do is I want to try to give you just a biblical vision of God's heart behind parenting. And this will affect all of us because we all had parents. So it's like, what was the idea behind this? What was Jesus intending this to look like? And then how do we uh, maybe one day or currently step into this? And I want to give you a warning that we're going to be all over the place, and that's not my favorite way to preach. My favorite way is to take a book of the Bible or a passage of Scripture and really live inside of that. But today we're going to just give you a smattering of verses because there's not one place in the Bible that you can go to and say, yeah, that right there encompasses everything you need to know about parenting. I want to start with Mark chapter 5. And some of you, if you look at Mark chapter 5, the heading is Jesus heals a man with a demon. And you're thinking, that's a perfect way to start. Uh, I have teenagers and I need some help. So how do we do that? 
Well, we're actually not starting in verse 1. So we're going to start in verse 21. Uh, and, and here's what's happened. So far, Jesus has healed a man with a demon. Uh, it's been amazing. He's calmed a storm, a famous story, displaying his power. And what he's about to do in verse 21 is one of the most incredible, beautiful stories in the Bible. And I think it gives us just a, a, an image of how we should think of our parenting. So uh, verse 21, read it with me. Here's what it says. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. Now, there's an interlude story here where uh, a woman who is in, in need of healing reaches out and touches Jesus and power flows out of Jesus and heals her. It's an incredible story. But fast forward to verse 35. While he was still speaking, I want you to paint this picture in your head. There came from the ruler's house uh, some who said, your daughter is dead. Just put yourself in his shoes for a minute. Your daughter has died. He left the house to go get Jesus and at some point between him leaving his house and getting Jesus on the way back, his daughter's died. That's tragic. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? And the, the child is not dead, but sleeping. This is one of those comments that Jesus makes that people don't quite understand in the moment. And they laughed at him, which feels weird, doesn't it? Like they're in this, you know, they go from weeping to laughing at Jesus. But he, he put them all outside, good call. And he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and they went in where the child was. Now think about this. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. She was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. I love this picture uh, because I think this picture gives us a biblical goal and a biblical vision of parenting. Here's the idea. There's something that your child needs that you don't have the power to do. There's something that needs to happen in the life and in the heart of your child that you actually need to go get Jesus and bring Jesus to your kids so that they can be brought out of spiritual death into life. And that right there is kind of a guiding picture for how I want you to see parenting. I want you to think of two words when you think of your kids. If you have kids or if you see a child at all, just think of these two words. Uh, the first is image bearers, right? And the second is little sinners because they're both. When you look at a child, it's amazing that this little baby or this child is a representation of God to the world. They represent God. C.S. Lewis had said that there are no such thing as mere mortals, that we're all these immortal, powerful beings. And every time you see a little baby, you're seeing this galaxy of wonder and beauty wrapped in skin. And, according to Ephesians 2 and my own personal experience, you're seeing a child of wrath, right? Just a sinner 
by birth and by choice. And this became apparent to me in my own parenting uh, when my second daughter, Eleanor, who is just wild and crazy, um, w- tried to put something in her mouth that was not appropriate, would have harmed her. So her grandma, who was watching her at the time, took it from her to keep her safe, and Eleanor responded by biting her on the face. And I just want to point out, like, that's not learned behavior in my house. It's not like when me and Hillary really get into it, I'm like, you know, take that. No, she just like thought, oh, you're going to take that from me? I will bite you in the face. And just went walking dead on her grandma. And, and that's, that's, that was like in her own brain and in her, in her own heart. They're, they're sinners by birth and by choice. If they were bigger, they would kill us all. That's just true. So, so every time you see a child, you're seeing an image bearer of God, amazing, and a little wicked sinner, right? And so what happens is you actually have to go get Jesus and bring Jesus to your child because there's something that they need that you can't do. You can't change their heart. You can't save them. You can't be their Lord, but you can introduce them to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what you can do. Now, that vision of parenting is really, really different from culture's goal and vision behind parenting. Uh, Culture tends to have this idea that the child's personal happiness and self-esteem is what matters most. So we'll over-function as parents, we'll work really hard to keep them always happy and overly safe and pain-free. And what begins to happen is what is now known as helicopter parenting, where you just kind of hover over your child, and, and if you do this long enough, you don't actually raise an adult, you just raise a child, right? That's some of what's happening in our parenting culture today. Another thing that's really common, and this even seeps into the church and and our own hearts in ways that we don't even realize, is the idea of parenting your children for your own reputation and pride, right? A Dallas mom says this. This is out of a book, How to Raise an Adult. It's wonderful. Uh, Dallas uh, mom Nikki has five kids. Here's what she says. I need to put out champion caliber children who are at the top of their field, she says making an impact and changing the world in some way. I am responsible for creating the individual who is capable of that. They are my legacy to the world. Hey, no pressure, but you're my legacy to the world, right? So I've got to just, you know, bang out these caliber kids that are going to change the world. This is nonsense parenting. When it seeps into your soul that you are now somehow parenting them, not for them, but for you. Something has gone profoundly wrong. And then also what we see in cultures is no goal at all. It's I just want to get them out of the house. I want to keep them out of prison. And I have been a successful parent. All right? I've, I've accomplished the goal. I've done it. And you really have no vision for getting your parents developed into adults that love God. So what does it look like? What does it look like to do what Jarius is doing in this way, in this story in Mark 5, where we, we go get Jesus and we bring Jesus to our kids? What does that look like? Well, I just want to give you three things briefly that I think are guiding biblical principles that apply across the board, whether you have a 17-month-old or a 17-year-old, and I think these will be helpful. So here's the first thing I want you to see. I want you to see the heart of parenting. And really what we're driving at here is what do you need to believe in order to be a parent that's rooted in Jesus, that's shaped and being transformed by Jesus? What is it that you need to believe? Well, there's just t- really two things that you need to believe. Here's the first one. Children are a gift. Children are a gift. Psalm 127. Turn there if you want to, uh, but I'll have it up on the screen. Psalm 127, verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of of the womb a reward. 
Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. And look at this. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. I love this passage. It talks about kids as being a heritage from the Lord. Kids are a reward from the Lord. Kids are a blessing to have. I mean, this is amazing. Like, think about the gift that kids are. Have you ever been given a gift that you just treasure and brings you joy and brings you delight every time you see it? I remember when I was 13 years old, uh, my dad took me on a trip and he initiated me into manhood, which was something that none of my other, other friends had. Uh, but he took me on a trip and we camped and we fished and we did all this crazy stuff. And at the end of it, he handed me a Winchester 3030 rifle. I lived in Choctaw, so it was like very contextual, made sense. Handed me a 30-30 rifle, and he said, you are now a man. I'm going to treat you like a man. I'm going to give you the responsibility of a man and some of the freedom of being a man. And that was one of the most significant moments in my life. I remember, uh, even, even to this day, as I pull out that rifle to look at it, it's, 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 a, it's an okay rifle. It's a fine rifle. But the significance of that gift to me is just, it brings me joy and it brings me delight. It's really, really important to me. Well, I think about, think about the reality that the greatest gift you could ever be given is a human soul. And here God is entrusting us as parents with little human souls. Not a grandparent, right? Not a teacher, not someone who volunteers frontline kids, not someone else. He's giving you this important gift and it's to be treasured and it's to be enjoyed and it's to be delighted in. And and as I say that, I realize that that's just so far from what our culture Uh, really is with kids. The way that they talk about kids today, the way that our world sees kids is as a nuisance. They're a problem. They get in the way of life. They don't add to it. They're a distraction from the more important things. Studies are now showing that in the West, the fertility rate is actually below the replacement rate for the first time in history. They're actually like producing less kids than we've ever produced. And it's just common sense, isn't it, that, that in our culture today, it's common sense that, yeah, careers are just more important than kids. I want to live my life and do my thing and, 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 and make something of myself, and then we'll get around to having kids. And sometimes even in talking to uh, couples who are uh, either newly married or about to get married, it's just, you know, n- even if they don't say anything negative about kids, it's, yeah, yeah, we're, we're going to have some fun and live our life, and, th- and then we'll get around to having kids. And I get that. I said the exact same thing. But sometimes what's implicit in that is that kids are just a nuisance. Kids are a barrier to joy, but the Bible actually says they're a gift. And they're a gift not just given by any random person, they're a gift given to us from God. One author says this, he says, children are not casual guests in our home. They have been loaned to us temporarily for the purpose of loving them and instilling a foundation of values on which their future lives will be built. So that's the first thing that we really need to recover is this reality and this, this, this truth that children are a gift. But here's the second thing that we need to believe as we're rooted in Jesus and our whole life is being transformed by him. Children are a gift, but children need grace. They really need grace. Uh, the, the, here's what's really interesting to me. The Bible on a whole has very little to say about parenting. So all of you with like, you're like, lists and lists and lists of parenting advice, I would just kind of slow your roll a little bit because the Bible doesn't have a ton about parenting. Um, what's interesting is the New Testament rarely even talks about it. And I'm gonna give you two passages and it's interesting when it is talked about what is being said. So Ephesians chapter six, verse four. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, 
but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Don't provoke them to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, another one, Colossians three twenty-one. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. It's interesting that the New Testament rarely even talks about parenting, and the only verses that talk about parenting in Ephesians and in Colossians reference parents not provoking their kids to anger. Why is that? The one thing that would be said, why is that? What does it mean to provoke your kids to anger? Well, it doesn't mean, hey, parents, don't ever make your kids mad, because like we have all failed at that, and that would be impossible to live out. What it means, this idea of provoking, is this, th- this idea of annoying or deriding or antagonizing or badgering our kids. And if you do a study of this word in, in the Bible, it's interesting that in the Old Testament, it's used roughly 30 times, and almost all of the times are the people of Israel, and they're provoking God to anger. They're badgering and antagonizing and harassing God. And then even in the New Testament, it says that the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, are provoking Jesus to anger. So here's the point. Here's what the Apostle Paul is trying to say in these verses. There's a unique ability that we have as parents to rather being a source of blessing and encouragement and life that we're infusing in our kids, there's a way that we can relate to them where we go a couple steps too far in our anger We go a couple steps too far in our discipline, and rather than extending them grace, we badger them. We provoke them. We we harass them. We hurt them in such a way emotionally that they actually just live in a state of anger and of sadness and of despair. And, And in particular, dads have an ability to do this to their kids. And on the flip side, dads have a profound ability to speak life into their kids, and to bless their kids, and to affirm their kids, and to, to, to speak words that their kids won't ever forget in a good way. And if you think about God as our father, the reality is this, that we are often so much harder on our kids than we ever, ever hope anybody to be on us, and are often harder on us than God the Father is on us, which is really interesting. If you do kind of a, a study of God the Father and his attributes, here are some of the things that come up. He's loving, First John 3 verse 1, kind, Ephesians 2, 7, compassionate, Psalm 103, 8, giving, John 3, 16, I love this one, faithful and loving kindness and compassion, layering word upon word upon word to describe his mercy and his grace, merciful, strong, forgiving, good, righteous, caring, gracious, and the list goes on, and here's the point, the point is that as much as we have been parented by God the Father, and really his attributes towards us, that becomes the foundation and the model for how we start to relate to our kids. We actually want them to experience God the Father through our parenting of them. That's the goal. They need grace upon grace. Uh, Your kids, parents, they already have an accuser. They don't need another one. They need someone that's gonna be a blessing and speak life and encouragement and offer them grace. Uh, so how do we do that? How do we, how do we take these things that we believe like they're gifts from God and they need grace? Now, how does that inform the way that we relate? Well, here's the second thing I want you to see. It's the hands of parenting. So now we're talking about not what we believe. We're talking about what we do. What's the actual like aspect of parenting that we're to step into? Well, I think you can distill down what the Bible really teaches on parenting into two primary roles, two primary things that we are supposed to do. Here's the first one. 
parents are called to instruct their kids. So if you have your Bibles, go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy 6 is one of the most influential verses in the whole Bible. If you're Jewish, this is the most quoted verse in the Bible. It's called the Shema in Hebrew, and it's something that is uh, often daily quoted in Jewish communities. And look at what it says. It has something about parenting that I find really helpful. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. I'll just pause there for just a minute. This idea of loving God with your whole heart, your, whole, your soul, your might, your strength, this is something that Jesus picks up in the New Testament and quotes frequently. And he says the whole law can be summed up this way. Like all the things that you read in the Bible about do this and don't do this and avoid this and try that, you can, you can boil them all down to love God with your whole heart and love your neighbor as yourself. So look at what he says next because what he's driving at is trying to create this culture where we love God with everything in us. Verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children these commands and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What I love about this passage is you see formation of kids, instruction of children happening in two ways. You, you see it in a formal setting, right? It says be diligent about teaching your kids these commandments. So it's actually like this formal approach to parenting where you and your spouse, or, or if it's just you you, you, you sit with your community and you plan out and you process, how am I going to instruct and form my child to love God with her whole heart? This is something that you actually take time to process. This is something that you have a formal plan for. You evaluate it over time. You adjust. You make tweaks. You figure out from your mistakes and you learn as you go. But there's this formal approach. Like you don't treat your kids like you would treat, uh, you, you treat your kids rather a lot more similarly to treating a garden where it's every day you're out there and you're tilling the weeds and you're fertilizing and you're planting and you're watering and you're adjusting and you're learning and all these. That's how we approach our parenting. There's this formal instruction that's needed. Uh, one of the things my, my wife and I have tried to do uh, starting in this last year is uh, just realizing that our world is shaping and forming our kids in rapid, radical ways. Like, spiritual formation isn't something that just Christians do. Did you realize that spiritual formation is something that our world does? And it's not necessarily a good thing, right? You can be spiritually formed to love other things other than God, or you can be spiritually formed to love God. And so what we're, we're realizing is the, the, the world has the shaping influence over our, our kids. So how do we actually counterintuitively form them? How do we instruct them? So one of the things that we're trying to do is, you know, 12 months out of the year, we'll take a month, and every month we take one practice of following Jesus. So like, Sabbathing every week, which we'll talk about in a few weeks, or reading the Bible, or praying, or uh, any practice of following Jesus. And then we'll take a virtue, because our culture has forgotten how to train kids in virtue. 
So courage or uh, work ethic or honesty or truthfulness or whatever. And we'll, so one practice and one virtue and every month that becomes the source of conversation whether at the dinner table or throughout the day and we'll try to read literature about that or watch shows or movies or if we see it in culture we'll point it out or if we see the opposite of it in culture we'll point that out. And what we're trying to do is intentionally form our kids because we can't just leave it up to the world. It will actually happen in ways that won't lead them to loving God with their whole heart formally instructing and instructing your kids but i also love this that if you look at deuteronomy verse seven, uh, chapter 6 verse 7 it talks about like when you rise and when you lay down and when you're sitting in your home and when you're walking by the way that's a hebrew idiom for all the time so you're mowing the grass and you're pouring into your kids and you're driving in the car and you're using that as a chance to form your kids and just in organic natural way so it's both formal and organic and that's how we should be instructing our kids and all kinds of things how to understand marriage and singleness and parenting and sex and how to understand uh, generosity and loving the poor and how to, how to understand loving neighbor and how to how to do relationships and how to do communication and budgeting I mean literally all of it all of it we're to form our kids in a purposeful formal and organic way but that's not the only thing that really the Bible holds out it holds out instruction but then the second thing it really holds up is this idea of discipline. So you have instruction on the one hand and discipline on the other. Instruction is helping your, ch your children walk in the right path that they're supposed to walk in. And discipline is what you do when they veer off from that path. It's to help them get back on the path. The best passage I know in Scripture on the discipline of the Lord and how that shapes how we discipline our kids is in Hebrews chapter 12. So if you want to turn there, Hebrews 12 uh, I'm going to read it to you, starting in verse 7. It says, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. He's talking about God the Father and how he actually disciplines us, not because he hates us, but because of his love and commitment to us. Now look at this, verse 9, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we've respected them for that. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I love that. All discipline's painful. Can I get an amen from anybody who kind of resonates with that? But over time, it works something beautiful in our life. And you know that you're actually an illegitimate Christian, if you will, if you just live your life in sin and never, ever, ever does God the Father bring any discipline into your life. You're not really a part of the family if that's the case. If you're in the family, you get discipline from the Lord. And how does that translate into our parenting? Well, very simply, if you love your kids, you will discipline your kids, period, full stop. This whole idea of like, oh, I love my kids too much to discipline them, that's rubbish. You love yourself too much to discipline them. If you really love them, you discipline them. Now, I'm not telling you how. I mean, we could argue and debate, and I think there's some helpful stuff in Scripture to un understand how we do that. I would say it needs to be age-specific, you know, specific 
gender specific. It needs to be thoughtful. It's going to vary based on your children. If you have more than one child, do you know this? What works with one doesn't always work with the other. But the point is that if you love them, you will discipline them. And some of you, you're in the thick of this right now. Like you've got uh, little kids or older kids and you're trying to discipline them in some ways and you're like, it doesn't work. They're crazy. And they've never paused to tell me, thank you for loving me so much that you've disciplined me. And not, you just feel like you're wasting away, just trying to be consistent every day and, and, it, and it just feels mundane and it's not producing anything. Well, remember the imagery he uses here is of fruit. And fruit grows over a long period of time. It's the long game that you have to keep in mind. I remember growing up, my dad uh, was really consistent with discipline. And sometimes, oftentimes, he did some things that I was so angered and frustrated by. In fact, I used to have this box that I made in shop class, which used to be a thing back in the day. Uh, I made this box out of wood, and I would keep all like my important stuff in it, like uh, things that I was collecting and baseball cards and whatnot. I'd keep it in that box and I, I remember when I was a kid, I, I wrote a list called Things I Will Never Do as a Parent. And it was like all the things that my parents were doing, especially my dad. I will never do this, and I will never spank, and I will, you know, I just, I, I knew everything as a, as a 12-year-old boy. I had it all figured out. And, uh, and what's so funny is like I never, ever, ever appreciated my dad's parenting ever until I, I moved out of my house. I was 18, and about a year later, I was driving down the road. I was thinking about all that my dad had done to prepare me for adulthood, and I just broke down crying. I called my dad on the phone and I said, I never told you thank you. Thank you for all the consistency. Thank you for the presence. Thank you for throwing your whole heart into loving me enough to tell me no and to do things that at the time I hated and I honestly just despised you for, but you were preparing me to be an adult. Parents, your kids will not tell you that, maybe ever, but they won't tell you that, certainly as kids. There may come a day where they move out and they call you and they say, hey, I want to thank you for the hard work. Don't lose sight of the long game. Love them enough to be consistent both in instruction and in discipline. So the heart of parenting, what, what do we believe? Well, they're gifts that we need to be treasuring and delighting in and enjoying <laughs> and they need grace because like us, they are prone to sin. So that's what we believe. That's the heart of parenting. The hands of parenting, what do we do? We really want to instruct them. That's formal and organic. We want to we come alongside of them and discipline them in love. And then here's the last thing I want you to see real briefly, the feet of parenting. And this is, this is driving at how we live as parents. This is often a neglected thing uh, when talking about parenting. It's often not talked about how parents live as an intricate part of how we parent. Uh, there's a city in Norway called Rukon, and Rukon's beautiful. If you look at pictures online, it's just fascinating. Uh, it's nestled between two beautiful mountains. It's a great city. The problem, though, is that six months out of the year, Rukon has no direct sunlight whatsoever because of the path of the sun and the way that the mountain sits. It doesn't get any sunlight whatsoever for six months out of the year. Can you imagine? The people that live there, they love uh, a lot about it, but what they don't like is honestly just the level of like melancholy sadness that sets in after months and months of not seeing the sun. You have to get out of the city and drive for miles up over the mountains to even see directly the sun. And so there's just this heaviness and this depression that kind of nestled into the community. And that went that way for about 100 years, but in 2013, uh, some people there had, had this idea 
to construct these huge mirrors that they put up on the mountain and they angled them a certain way so that as the sun was passing, it would actually shine the light from the sun and reflect it back into the town. And it was a game changer for Rukon. It changed the, just the whole atmosphere of the, of the city. People were happier and they could walk out and for the first time they could see the sun in that six-month window where they never, ever were able to. And I love that picture. I love that idea because in many ways, that's really God's heart and intention in our parenting with how we live. He says in, one, in a famous passage in Matthew 5, he says that the church is the light of the world. The world is in darkness and we are reflecting the light of Jesus into the world. And I just want to add a step to that and say as parents, we are the light to our kids. And it really doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter the books that you read. It doesn't matter the, th- the stuff that in your head you think. If the way that you live towards your, pa- your kids is not reflecting the light of Jesus to them. So much of what our kids receive is caught rather than taught, and every parent would agree. Your, your kids have these weird, like, things that they do with their face, and you're like, I do that with my face. And, you know, they chew gum a certain way, and it's like, I chew gum that way. And, and they learn from you just by watching you. They learn how to repent of sin by watching you repent of sin. They learn how to read their Bible by watching you read their Bible. They learn how to pray by watching you pray. They learn how to do conflict in marriage by watching you do conflict in front of them in a healthy way. They learn how to do relationship and how to open up your home and love the poor. They learn how to do this stuff from the way that we do it. How we live directly affects the way that we parent. I'll never forget the earliest memories of my dad, who's kind of my hero, honestly. I'd, I'd, uh, he'd wake me up sometimes, 5 a.m., and uh, we'd go downstairs together, and he would have his cup of coffee, and he would, no lie, he would take a sippy cup, and he would pour, like, mostly water and a little bit of coffee, uh, and, and I'd sit with him in his lap, and I would drink coffee with Dad, and I would eat grapes. I don't know. That was just what we did. Grapes and coffee, which is, it's like, surely, like, diarrhea was in there somewhere, I'm sure. And, uh, and so we would, we would do this in the morning, and he would just read from the Proverbs. I'm four years old, five years old. He would occasionally stop to explain something, and I still didn't understand it. And I'll never, ever forget, I'll never forget that memory of my dad sitting in his lap and him instructing me in things that were too lofty for me to even understand. That's like, that did something to me. That did something to me to this day, watching him when I would do something really sinful and he would go to the room and get on his knees and cry and pray. That did something to me. Watching when he blew up in anger and he would come to my room afterwards and once he'd cooled down and he would apologize. I was wrong. I'm sorry for yelling at you. That did something to me. Something about the way he lived and the way that my mom lived that just it was more meaningful. Like I can't really at that time in life tell you what my dad believed theologically. Can't tell you what books he was reading. None of that really mattered to me. What mattered was he was present and he loved me and he said the hard things when I needed it and he apologized when he needed it and I learned how to follow Jesus by watching dad. That's what we have the opportunity to do as parents. So let me bring this to a close and let me just say a few things. Maybe you're here and you don't have kids yet. Maybe you won't have kids. That's okay. You can help us as parents, help us know how to step into this with grace and help. Maybe you're here and you do have kids. I just want to invite you to do a few things. Here's the first one. Like, can you just step into some repentance today, if need be, for not treasuring your kids appropriately and enjoying them and delighting in them? 
appropriately. I'm not asking you to make them gods in your life. That's another common issue. Like, don't make them gods in your life where you look to them to name you and define you. God didn't give you sons and daughters to fulfill you and define you. That's why he gave his son to us. But today, maybe you need to repent because rather than seeing your kids as a gift, you see them as a nuisance, a frustration. You see them as robbing your life of joy and of beauty and all the things that you want to accomplish. They're not a nuisance, they're a gift. Maybe today, some of you realize that as a dad or as a mom, you've actually brought profound cursing into the life of your children. Instead of being someone who blesses and encourages and speaks life and and gives away and affirms and says, get on my shoulders and go further, maybe you've done the opposite and they are sitting in anger and they're crushed and they feel critiqued all the time and they feel overwhelmed and despairing. Maybe today what you could do is go to your child Get on your knees, look him in the eyes, and say, Dad's so sorry. Mom is so sorry. That was me at my worst. Now this is me at my best. And then just begin to bless and affirm them. Maybe for some of us, what you need to do today is really just embrace parenting as a profoundly high calling from God. I want to say this especially to those of you who are moms because often moms are the ones that, you know, are, are, are I think about my own wife who is a stay-at-home mom and homeschools our kids and is working hard and man, her, her life is so, so tough. Like, she'll leave, she'll leave like to the grocery store for three hours and I'm like, oh, where are you? Hurry up and come back, right? So I don't know how she does it and it's easy as a mom maybe to think and even, even dads do this, but it's easy as a mom to think I'm wasting away my life. There's all these other things in ministry and in the world that I could be doing to have an impact. I just want you to know what you're doing is the most significant thing that you could do. Rachel Yankovic, she says this. She says, children rank way below college, below world travel for sure, below the ability to go out at night at your leisure, below honing your body at the gym, below any job that you may have or hope to get. In fact, children rate way below your desire to sit around and pick your toes if that's what you want to do. Below everything, children are the last thing that you should ever spend your time doing. But Christian mothers, they carry their children in hostile territory. And when you are in public with them, you're you're standing with and defending the objects of cultural dislike. You're publicly testifying that you value what God values and that you refuse to value what the world values. You stand with the defenseless and in front of the needy. You represent everything that our culture hates because you represent laying down your life for another. And laying down your life for another represents the gospel. Our culture is simply afraid of death. Laying down your, your, your life in any way is terrifying. But a Christian should have a different paradigm. We should run to the cross, run to death. So lay down your hopes, lay down your future, lay down your petty annoyances, lay down your desire to be recognized, lay down your fussiness at your children, lay down your perfectly clean house, lay down your grievances about the life that you're living, lay down the imaginary life that you could have had by yourself, let it go. Death to yourself is not the end of the story. We of all people ought to know what follows death. The Christian life is resurrection life, life that cannot be contained by death, the kind of life that is only possible when you have been to the cross and back. That's the heart of parenting. Lay down your life. What you're doing matters. So I want to invite you. Would you stand with me for just a minute? If you're a parent today in the room and you feel overwhelmed, you feel exhausted, you feel like you're failing at every turn, can I give you the best news in the world? 
your kids do not need to see a perfect parent. They need to see someone who is a sinner, who is rescued and redeemed and loved by the grace of God. If you're here today and you're like, man, I've just, I've done so much damage to my kids and where do I even start and how do I turn this around? Here's how you start. You don't start by saying, I'm gonna really just try harder and do more. And Now what you do is you actually realize that this whole story of the Bible is a story of God the Father pursuing kids that wanted nothing to do with him, pursuing us in the middle of our rebellion, coming to his enemies and the Father offering His Son so that you and I could be brought in as sons and daughters into the family of God. Before you are a parent, if you're in Jesus, you are a child of God that's deeply loved. And before you can go out and parent your kids, you have to be loved and parented by God the Father. Maybe you're here and you're single and you're carrying shame or you're carrying guilt or sadness or whatever. Whatever it is that is in your chest today that you brought in with you, the good news is that we can approach the table and we can receive the grace of Jesus. His body was broken for us, not for some other mythical group of people out there that always kept the rules, for us. And his blood was shed so that you and I could be forgiven and brought into the family of God.